Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like-minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human-centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Emily, it's great to have you on the show. I'm delighted to have you here. Um, I caught up with one of your colleagues a couple of months ago, uh, Roya, so Roya introduced us. But maybe for our audience, um, let's start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Uh, thanks, Jerry. Excited to be here as well. Um, so I'm Emily Hamilton. My pronouns are she, her. I'm based on um, Wurundjeri country in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and at the moment, I'm working as a strategic designer um, with a design agency, uh, Paper Giant. And I've been there with them um, for the past couple of years. Yeah. And I think you know a little bit about Paper Giant, but yeah. basically so we work with a variety of organisations sort of across the um, public, private, not-for-profit sectors um, to design and deliver better products, services and policies. Um, so the focus really is working with those organisations to create positive impact um, by engaging and considering perspectives of and lived experiences of people who are affected. Nice. Like, yeah, so Royo has been on the podcast before and I mentioned in that podcast, if you haven't listened to it, folks, go back and listen to it. It's a really good episode. But Paper Giant are uh, an organization that I'm familiar with. I don't know very well. Uh, when I left Australia in 2018, um, they had already founded, I think, at that stage. But over the last number of years, they've become one of the places that I check in regularly on what they're doing because they seem to be awesome and working in exactly the right kind of uh, kind of quadrant of meaningful and purposeful work. So I'm always excited to to see what they're up to. But this project that um, Roy had mentioned to me when we were speaking was really, really interesting. And I'm excited to have you on to talk about it. Maybe start off and tell us, first of all, do you have a title for the project? Well, what do you refer to it as uh, within Paper Giant? Oh, yeah, good question. Um, the title is, I think it was Breaking the Cycle of Incarceration for People Who Use Drugs. Right. Um, so that was the question that we were really looking to respond to. Mm. Um, and that became really the focus of the whole project. Um, and how do we sort of co-design a response to that question? How do we break um, help to break the cycle of incarceration for people who use drugs. And was that a case, was that question, that sounds like a, a research question, but was that question given to you or did you have to do some work to get to that point of uh, articulation? Yeah, it was, um, it was given to us. We Research Institute, who we partnered with mm. on this project, um, had been working in this space for over a decade. So they came with a lot of subject matter knowledge and um, expertise in this area, yep. had done a vast amount of research um, to understand um, the different problems in this space. Yep. And what they had sort of come up against is um, the ability to sort of translate something into action. Mm. Um, so taking those insights that they had on this sort of post-prison or that kind of post-prison landscape and then really understanding what can they do about it which mm. is where paper giant was engaged to facilitate that process um, to think about what kind of service models or what could we sort of put in place yeah. um, to support that post-prison landscape 
So before we jump into the project itself, I'd love to learn a little bit more around your own background, okay? Because, you know, when you look at the sort of researcher triangulation, whenever you're forming those projects, what perspective are you bringing to the project in particular? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think um, my skills are sort of a mix of facilitation, co-design, futures thinking. Um, I'm really passionate around centering lived experience. Um, mm. And I've worked on a number of different projects um, with Paper Giant to sort of look at, I guess, what we call participatory strategy, which mm -hmm. is something um, Paper Giant does really well, um, and how to sort of engage um, people with different experiences in a design process. Um, to help sort of facilitate meaningful engagement, feel like, um, you know, they have agency. I love the phrase, um, the wisdom is in the room. And I guess I really see my role as creating um, spaces and places for people to feel welcome and feel like they can have meaningful impact and um, into whatever sort of problem space um, that we're working. All right. Awesome. In. That's an awesome response. So um, whenever you're uh, at that point of where the, the question has been formed already. Um, what kind of were the next steps for you in moving the project forward? What evidence did you have already in place from the, the research partner that you were working with? And what was the, the first couple of days like? Look, it was really interesting um, because we had a chance to shape the project mm. um, with the client when they came to us sort of before the project started. Yeah. Um, and it's a pretty complex sort of systemic problem, as you yeah. sort of would understand um, that post-prison landscape. Um, and the client was initially looking um, to create a system map to actually visualise the intervention points. Um, mm. But after some really early discussion, we realised, again, sort of there was a lot of information that existed um, and that real sort of systems change would have impact by creating those conditions for action or really kind of translating sure. the research into tangible ways. Um, so in those first couple of days, um, our first week was really immersing in the problem space. So mm. taking off sort of what they'd been researching, some of the areas of the problem um, and engaging with the various experts who sort of work in the space um, to understand what are we really working with here? Yeah. Um, how big is the problem? And do we need to create some boundaries in where we can actually focus? Because mm -hmm. um, there's a various sizes and scales of um, what can be done um, and doing a little bit of more research into what people are currently doing in the um, in Australia as well as overseas to sort of address the problem as well. Yeah. So there was a large amount of documents to sift through research to kind of do and really look at what's what's Desk going research. on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How did you handle the whole cu curiosity piece? And um, this is one of the things that I I struggle with as well is when you're tackling the post. Um, sort of incarceration experience in my experience it's very hard to not want to get into the incarceration experience to understand the sequencing so you understand the precursors to the bit that you're researching um did you have the opportunity to explore that um and if not maybe what advice did you have on being able to handle that level of curiosity because i'm always kind of like well what does it look like where do they come from you know what what were the conditions like to really understand the whole holistic zoomed out perspective yeah and i think it was really interesting because in this project's case because they were talking about cycles of incarceration yeah. quite often the period like the period sort of 
post-prison is actually the period after prison as well. So you find this sort of secular loop yeah. where um, the journey sort of perpetuates itself in this kind of cycle. So mm. um, there was um, a an itch, I guess, to sort of understand everything yeah. <laughs> as you try try and do. You sort of um, thirst for curiosity, for knowledge and understanding, you know, why is this the case? And, you know, when numbers would emerge or you'd kind of see these problems and you're like, wow, the system is so fragmented. Yeah. Like putting your hands up and going, why? Why, why is it like this? Yeah. Um, and trying to sort of burrow down in those little rabbit holes um, was difficult to not go down too much into the detail but keep enough of that you know enough knowledge that you know and you can speak to mm. some of the areas um so we could kind of confidently go into those co-design sessions yeah. um having a bit of a framework um and knowing kind of what the spaces that we're playing with really look like from those perspectives of the people who experience it i think it's really natural though from a human perspective to really have those questions but the real challenge there um is is not allowing yourself to get too deep too quickly into those areas that aren't really in focus and they're not going to enable you to answer the research question which for me is the whole kind of point of having the research question because you can go off in a tangent very quickly and then realize that you're going down a rabbit hole um but it's one of those things that i, I find myself still it's like that itch where you're like oh my god i just really need to know what was happening before that it's sometimes that helps you know i mean sometimes it's definitely there's there's uh, helpful curiosities but i find it it's kind of a common thing across a lot of the researchers that i speak to on this podcast so maybe let's tell us a little bit more around the the next step so you you were doing uh, d desk research what were the key pieces that you wanted to focus on from that from that research question what were the pieces that you were going to address opening in the research yeah so um it was interesting because in that the research sort of pointed um, to all these different services that were currently provided in that um, that landscape that were addressing different needs and quite fragmented. Mm -hmm. um, and we were really trying to think of this from the needs of a whole person. And we suddenly sort of came to this realisation um, when we were collaborating with our um, partner um, about how the need to sort of reframe the problem space and stop looking at things in isolation and what does it mean if we sort of step back and consider the needs of a whole person um, sort of coming out of prison. Mm. Um, so sort of reframing things from, um, you know, people need work opportunities um, to call it meaningful things to do um, from sort of people need um, housing yeah. to people need safe places to go, um, you know, things like people need um, to assign caseworker to reframing it to, um, you know, people need support or people who can support them. Yeah. Um, and then sort of from that health perspective, um, sort of moving away from accessible healthcare to really um, thinking about what the person needs, which was that feeling secure in their own health. Mm. Um and so in that framing, that was what we took to the first co-design session um, with our workshop participants. Mm. Um, and they really reflected that the framing and thinking about these different needs of a, a person as a whole um, sort of stepped away from those current system um, or service 
fragments yeah. and really allowed them to sort of sit in the problem space and think about things a little bit differently. Um, so that sort of reframing was that first piece that we started to play around with um, to then sort of had that building blocks to nice. be able to be like, well, which place are we going to, um, which cool. space are we going to solve? Because yeah. um, I think people have multiple needs as they're coming out and, you know, one might be addressed with this or one might be addressed through that, um, but there's no real kind of connected support um, mm. that really sort of helps people to to move and grow in that space. So in your experience, well, what did it look like when the, the prison opens the door and say, best of luck, mate, and they open the door? What, what was that experience like for people? Yeah, we heard um, people saying it was a scary experience. Um you know, in those first couple of weeks, it's very overwhelming. Um, anything from navigating multiple appointments, um, people's schedules became jam-packed with trying to get from one place to another mm. um, because of compliance is quite strict and hard to follow. Um, there's this, I guess, when you're thinking about um, things like Centrelink, which is the um, Australian version and I'm just going to pause of the dole, there. Of the dole, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Oh, oh, um, social payments. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when they're looking, when people are looking for social payments, they might not have an ID. ID. So sort of these steps okay, in place, yeah. or that, to get an ID, they need an address, and you know maybe they haven't got a fixed permanent address. Mm. So there's all these kind of things that people are thinking about, and um, the ability to dream was what the co-design participants sort of came up with as you know something that was sort of key mm. key for them and um you know all these things and all these kind of admin stuff that's in front of people mm. um that they can't actually sort of get to um putting their feet on the ground and really thinking about what they wanted to do yeah. um coming out of prison um so that sort of idea of um overwhelm is what people end up sort of going back into that cycle, um, turning back to use um, drugs and, yeah. and sort of that's the reason why some of that those cycles of incarceration um, sort of happen. So in your experience, was it a case that, um, I know the research question um, includes that facet of using drugs. Um, in your experience, was the person um, a drug user within prison? And then they continue that pattern outside, or is it? What does that look like? I think the the focus of the question is it was sort of pre-prison, and then a lot of the time um, people would actually get support to go off drugs in prison. Yeah, um, so they'd have various, yeah, exactly, various therapies that were put in place um, to support them in that process. But mm. as you're coming out of prison, um, all of a sudden you have to pay. I think you have funding for two weeks and then Ooh. you have to pay a lot of money to stay on some of these um these drugs these these yeah so um you know that's another barrier of people having to navigate and you know going to the pharmacy and, and getting these kind of yeah. things and having that sort of established processes in place um it's sort of lifted and you're on it's on you're on your own kind of mm. thing so there's just not that um continuation of support for a lot of people so what were you seeing in terms of the the kind of drugs that were were being used uh was it uh i know in australia there's an ice epidemic but there was when i was living there is that still the case where 
there's uh, an awful lot of usage in a, in a particular type of drug that that seems to captivate um yeah we didn't we didn't necessarily get into that detail it was yeah. um yeah it was usually around injecting um injecting Narcotics, so yeah. yeah yeah that's right um so that's sort of and i think it's it's important to note um that the people you know it's an addiction yeah. issue um it's a health issue and kind of taking that back um to quite often these people have um, very complex histories of social economic health disadvantage yeah. um and conditions that are really exacerbated by incarceration um and that actually going into prison can um, cause significant harm. Mm. Um, And it was really interesting to see uh, some different examples of places across the world, like in Norway, um, there's not prison guards and it's actually um, the people who are there in um, prison as psychologists and, you know, people who are there to actually rehabilitate you. Um, And you sort of go through that rehabilitation process um, rather than sort of getting stuck into an institution that's, um, you know, not going to rehabilitate you and have that kind of outcome. That's one of the big things when um, I was working in that space, the effectiveness of the service to rehabilitate is never very rarely questioned. And the effectiveness of actually spending 10 years in that environment how effective is that human being going to be when they're let out? Like, are they completely rehabilitated? Because that's the whole kind of thing when they go up for parole, like, you know, they go, okay, now, now you're rehabilitated. We think you're rehabilitated now. And obviously there's more to it than that. But in your, um, in this project in question here at the moment, was that, that experience, um, did you get the opportunity to go back into that, that precursor piece and understand the the kind of criteria the, the things that were being done to really enable a more of a successful outcome in the post prison experience yeah and it really it we did and it really came down to those sort of four things um that we were playing around with and we reframed so feeling secure in your health um having people who support you um safe places to go um and the fourth one which has alluded to at the now moment is, <laughs> yeah it's all right yep the fourth one yeah so it was um yeah those four things which was the meaningful things to do um places to go that feel safe um people who support me and feeling secure in my health so yeah. those were sort of the four domains when we sort of reframed the, the problem space those were sort of the four core needs mm. um and to build, building sort of a community or a sense of belonging um in how those um needs were met yeah um and providing people choice in that sort of person-centered approach um you know one thing's not necessarily right for all people um so how could um we look to sort of adapt whatever this thing service model we were designing to be to sort of meet people where they were at um with different needs and different um things that they wanted to do and even i think it's worthwhile noting as well um the two weeks coming out of prison are quite different from three months down and, you know, five months or a year okay. later for different people. Um, and that sort of overwhelm can go on for a short or quite a long period of time. So um, it's very different mm. journeys for different people. So what does it look like in terms of the the mental health support? Um, because it seems to be that there's definitely a correlation between, you know, the support and the mental health and 
um, the likelihood of, you know, reuptake in, in drugs and stuff like that. Are the people that you're researching still drug users when they left prison or were they had they stopped successfully? And then the opportunity to, may may arise to, to reuse. What what does that scenario look like? Can you give me a little bit more information on that? Um, we didn't necessarily touch on that specifically. Were they clean or not? Yeah. Whether they were, yeah, exactly. And I think it sort of came to a point of does it matter if they're clean, if they're living their life in the way that they want to. Mm. Um, So that idea of the harm reduction approach being sort of a core principle of what we were doing. Um, So really sort of making sure that we, you know, we're not, um, there's various places in um, Australia and sort of overseas Mm. and things where you can actually go to sort of, I guess, more of a rehabilitation model. Um, But that's not necessarily right or effective for, all people um and it's again those kind of different choices on um what you want to do in in terms of you know abstinence based stuff might work for some people but other people that's not the path that they might want to follow sure yeah so um during the research there was uh you had a number of sessions when we were speaking beforehand um how did you go about the um where it is the recruited the participants for those sessions what what did that look like was your research partner able to help you connect with people who've recently um you know left the prison system yeah they were and they had actually started um work with this co-design group oh, um awesome. in 2019 so but then because covid hit and they couldn't do it sort oh. of face to face they ended up pausing things okay um so we were able to sort of pick pick up sort of where that group had left off um there were a couple of people who weren't involved and we had some new people but they were that which was one of the lucky things about this project that their recruitment wasn't a a great hurdle because they'd done a lot of work in terms of building the relationships with the um, people that we were engaging Um, but it was a range of um, I think we had 25 participants in total um, and we engaged them in various capacities so there was sort of five face-to-face workshops Mm -hmm. um, that we ran sort of in half-day sessions and then we had also had these little satellite sessions that we ran in parallel to that Mm. um, for people who couldn't attend the workshops face-to-face that week or um, you know they were um, couldn't make it for one reason or another, but they sort of played a role, I guess, as more as critical friends jumping into the process. Um, you yeah. know, everyone was quite invested in this and wanting to be involved. Um, so we played back sort of some of the outcomes of those workshops and um, they were able to, I guess, avoid that kind of group think in what we were creating and yeah. provide new perspectives. So it was really cool to have, um, be able to make it a little bit more accessible nice. and sort of be a bit more fluid in how we were engaging everyone. Can you um, elaborate a little bit more on those five half-day sessions? Um, can you remember bits uh, that were included in those sessions and how important yes. was space? to be created for um just space for vulnerability that's one of the pieces i'm really interested in when i when i'm recent so researching socially what did that look like in terms of the lead up to the workshop uh, when you were preparing people for that yeah yeah i think we wanted to really um you know create spaces that were warm and welcoming and also um the group 
really wanted time to build relationships with each other as well. Mm. So enough time that we could have lunch. Um, people could go for breaks and have a chat and grab some food. And we weren't sort of on a really tight, rigid schedule. Like, you know, we obviously planned out the workshop agenda, but there was time and flexibility within those workshop mm -hmm. plans to have those spaces and kind of respond to those needs. Um, making sure that we were, you know, having, being hospitable, no, hospital. hospitable. 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 <laughs> Make sure we were hospitable. You can mate. cut that bit out, Cherry. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. No, we're definitely leaving that one in. <laughs> um, so you were being hospitable um, and you had... Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I love and, it. And um, I think at, each, at the end of each session, we had a really quick feedback sheet that just sort of allowed people to check in um, mm. with an emoji, sort of how they were feeling and then what did they like in this session and what would they like to see more of in next session? And, you know, yeah. someone told us they wanted ice cream. So the next session we got ice cream, like, you know, those kind oh, of nice. things that yeah, was yeah. a really lightweight, um, you know, a low effort thing on their behalf, but yeah. it allowed us to sort of really adapt um, each session. So by the end we were really working cohesively in a, as a group and, you know, it was really amazing to see, um, you know, the group start from something small and sort of have these ideas and then it really sort of grew yeah. throughout the process. Um, so I can talk a bit, little bit more around that approach and kind of what we did yeah, in each yeah, session, that. if that, that what was helps. The group, what was the group size, yeah. Emily, just when I think about it? What was the group size that you had in the workshops? 25 people engaged overall, but we wouldn't have had more than 14 at a time in the yeah. workshops. Yeah. Um, so we... Um, the first one was the, probably the biggest one and then we were usually working with around 10 people but we didn't okay. want the group to be very, yeah. you know, Impersonal. big and we had it initially at that size because we knew people knew each other so it wasn't too overwhelming coming into a big mm. um, big group without people sure. sort of knowing. But we also made sure that, um, you know, all the activity, we gave people choice in how they wanted to respond. So... Um, some people wouldn't like writing and, you know, they prefer mm. to kind of, we had Play-Doh so they, you know, make things with Play-Doh or yeah. other people who are professionals, you know, loved writing down on post-it notes. So there was, we made it, um, I guess, in terms of the, that kind of shifting power, Activity. made it okay for yeah. everyone to choose how they wanted to engage and how they wanted to communicate. Yeah. We had lots of different things to help them to sort of express themselves in different ways. Love um, but the first session, we really focused on setting up the group, um, centering ourselves on that kind of focus question um, yeah. and creating a shared understanding of the current things that do and don't work well. Mm -hmm. um, so identifying areas of change, working with those four problem spaces um, or four sort of need spaces. Um, and then we had a bit of an engaging activity at the end where we had all these crafty materials on a table and ask them to create a vision um, of what it might look like. Um, so they sort of um, created this idea that what we were working towards um, was for people to leave prison and it was going to be a well-resourced, interconnected support ne network that mm -hmm. took sort of a holistic view of their needs. Um, and this thing needed to provide them stability, connection and then the ability to dream. So that was the sort of vision that we put together. Awesome. Um, in that session. Yeah. Um, the second workshop, we focused on the future state. Um, so we had a number of different um, activities to start 
getting people to ideate um, and imagining what was possible. Sort of first coming up with um, ideas in, we did some silly sixes, um, yeah. which is on paper and then you fold it into the six <laughs> squares um, yeah. and then sort of working together in different groups to see how those little ideas might come together. Yeah. Um, and that's when we started to realise that um, that timeline of needs is quite different um, so are we focusing on directly after prison versus, um, you know, six months or 12 months down the track? Um, so workshop three, um, we did some storyboarding. So we created sort of three different scenarios and we got some storyboarding kits and cartoons. Um, I just sort of downloaded a pack that I found online and printed out a bunch of these different characters um, yeah. and then had the groups sort of work through storyboarding what this thing could look like at different stages of the journey. Mm -hmm. um, the workshop four, um, we started to sense check sort of what we'd created. So by this time we were having a pretty good idea around how the service model was looking, um, but there was certain gaps um, that we had in terms of how it sort of functionally would work. Um, so Paper Giant has a suitcase of Lego. So we brought that suitcase of Lego to this workshop yeah. and we asked them to sort of start to build this thing. And it was really interesting to see how the different methods we used started to bring different perspectives in what it could be and sort of started to challenge, I guess, some of the initial ideas around what they had. But when we started to build it with Lego, it was like, no, these this can't be there. Like this has to sort of sit at the back of okay. this, you know, thing that we're creating. So the priorities started to change when, you know, the fidelity starts you start to, to kind up, of, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and we did some card sorting as well to sort of work out the kinds of services to include. And I think we end up writing some job descriptions in some of the satellite sessions around who would work here and what would be the okay. value proposition um, for people sort of working there as well. Yeah. Um, and then the last session, um, we sort of came back, we did a bit of um, synthesis as a, as a group, um, and then we came back to um, sort of present back what we were sort of looking at. Um, and we just had some conversations in that last session to really reflect on what we've done um, and kind of question how we could um, implement this thing at, either at a small scale and then looking at how it could um, grow. Mm. Um, putting a critical lens on it to talk about what might go wrong or the risks and how we might kind of navigate those um, and talking about the values and how this thing might sort of integrate into the community. Um, so that was sort of the rounded, rounded out the, those five engagements. Um, oh, nice. But it was really handy because we'd set up a really clear goal at the start. Um, we had a strong kind of idea around what we were working towards and everyone sort of shared that perspective um, and the boundaries sort of started to shift um, and people started to realise sort of what could be possible yeah. as we started to work through and sort of built on each other's ideas. So um, there was a wealth of expertise in the room from various perspectives um, yeah. and they really kind of came together to shape what this looks like. R really nice. Um in terms of the length of the project, what was that like? Yeah, it was um, 14 weeks. Okay. Um, we did it in three phases. So that first phase was um, looking at the previous research and establishing our understanding. Mm. 
connecting the second phase was um, the first couple of workshops, sort yeah. of getting an idea around where we're going. Um, and then that last phase was kind of bringing it back together um, and producing some of the outputs um, that we needed to create um, for this for this project. Um, mm. So because um, it's the, at the end product um, is sort of going for, for funding and implementation, yeah. we needed to create, I guess, a narrative and a story around um, what it model. was we're creating. So we did, yeah, yeah, what the service model was. So we um, engaged Dean Lever, who's a videographer, and he did a, created a video of the process awesome. that sort of showed the narrative yeah. um, from the co-design participants' perspective mm. about in their involvement and what the outcome of the service model would have. Um, yeah. And we also um, got an amazing illustrator, April, to do up some sort of isometric drawings and create some renderings model. So using them to really sort of communicate how the system could shift or, you know, communicate that system change that we wanted to see um, and using co-design, I guess, as a process um, to create right. some of that system shifting absolutely brilliant in terms of one question about the research piece and the uh well the, the facilitation piece and the outputs of those workshops um when it came to analysis and sense making um how was that approached and was there um other people involved who maybe were part of the workshops to help with the sense making process or how did you tackle that we used the those little satellite sessions to do a bit of the sense making. So yeah. it was sort of we'd come to outcomes at the end of the workshops and then these sort of hour-long remote sessions, we were able to play back what we had done in those workshops and use those sessions to help them sort of critique and add and sense make what we'd done in those okay. sessions. Um, following that, we'd do a little bit as a paper giant team, we'd do a little bit of crafting to um, – you know, shape a few things up. So whether that was creating some visuals to then sort of play yeah. things back at the next session um, or sort of just going through the detail and tightening up some of the language, you know, sometimes we'd have long lists of things and sort of yeah. working as a team to kind of condense that and bring that back to the group. Um, but we made sure that we tried to make sure that most decisions were made in those workshops by the people who giving the power sort of back to the people who in those participants in those workshops to really sort of shape the outcomes of what this thing um, could be. Absolutely. Emily, we're coming towards the end of, of our episode here. Um, I, I want to thank you, first of all, for being so open. It's it's very difficult to find people like Emily, folks. Uh, there's probably people listening who are like, well, I'm one of them, Jerry. If so, email me. Um, but really to find these kind of projects that have real value um, and real involvement of people during the process that lived experience so but in order to deliver it in such a powerful way that you've done in this episode i want to thank you for for giving me your time your space and your vulnerability and, and being able to share that information with me i know our audience are going to love this episode because it ticks as i said to you beforehand all the boxes and why this is hcd exists and why it's become so popular um for people who want to connect with you emily um what's the best way is it linkedin yeah, yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, that's probably the best way. I'll put a link to um, your LinkedIn in, in the show notes. And also, is there anything on the Paper Giant website where people can learn more about this project? Is there a case study or anything? Not yet, but hopefully soon there will. will be. 
Um, okay. And hopefully within the next couple of months, we'll be able to post that video as well. Yeah. Um, that was created through the process, which, uh, you know, it's good for me to talk about it, but hearing from the people who are involved in the, the process Absolutely. from the co-designers is well, just even more powerful. Well, maybe what we could do in a couple of months when that's out, yourself and if there's somebody from uh the other side and the research partner whoever whoever's enabling that piece if they want to come back on the show and talk about it i know our audience would love to hear about it um because it's great for other territories to be able to point at things and find these things which is a lot of our listeners are from overseas as well so emily thank you so much for your time thanks jerry it's been great talking to you